Welcome to The Third Wheel, HSF's podcast exploring environmental, social and governance issues in Australia. I'm Tim Stutt, Head of ESG for Australia at Herbert Smith Freehills and a corporate partner specialising in governance, disclosure and stakeholder issues. But wait, before you start scratching your heads, I'm pleased to also welcome our Talking Shop podcast audience as well. Today is a bit of a first for the third wheel and talking shop cohorts as we're doing a crossover collaboration episode. Hence, I'm delighted to be sharing the mic today with Aoife Zureb, a partner in our commercial litigation practice, specialising in defending class actions and product liability litigation, and a linchpin in our consumer sector team. Hello, Aoife. Hi, Tim. Good to be joining you today. And for the wider audience, Talking Shop, as you said, is HSF's new podcast series exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. We've joined forces for this episode as we'll be discussing an ESG topic of broad significance and of particular significance for those entities operating in the consumer sector. Today, we'll be speaking about modern slavery and some substantial changes being recommended as part of the ongoing review of the Act. So to discuss this further, I'd like to welcome our expert guests, Jackie Wooten and Olga Klimshak. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us on the show. Hi, everyone. Jackie advises on disputes, investigations and corporate crime, including anti-bribery and compliance, with global experience in the areas of ESG, business human rights and modern slavery. And Olga is an employment lawyer with her expertise ranging from advisory and strategic planning to employment and industrial relations related disputes and regulatory investigations. So Tim, today's topic is very, very topical because the Australian government recently tabled a report outlining recommendations for reform of the Modern Slavery Act. So perhaps Jackie and Tim, could you talk us through any sort of major surprises as part of that review? Sure, look, very happy to, to kick off and I'm sure uh, Tim and Olga and Adele will have lots to, to add as well to the conversation. I think in many ways I wouldn't really use the word surprise to describe the, the latest review because I think it was the product of a, a really good and detailed consultation period and a, a number of people and, and hopefully a number of our audience were able to participate in some of those consultation sessions and the submissions that um, were collated as part of the review. But I think coming out of the work that Professor McMillan, who led the review uh, and, and the report that was published, I think there are a few really important call outs, particularly for the consumer sector, but for Australian uh, business more generally. One of them is the requirement or the suggestion that the reporting threshold is going to be lowered. And I think that's, I really see that as pretty significant because it's going to really open up the net of entities that need to be reporting uh, and will involve a number of uh, more medium-sized organisations. Obviously, larger organisations are already reporting, but if, if there is um, acceptance by the government to reduce the reporting threshold, that's going to bring in a much wider group of companies uh, who have that annual revenue over 50 million. So I think that's certainly one area to watch. Tim, I, I know that that's, you know, that, that's not just a consumer sector specific change, but it, it will really, I think, um, open up those entities that need to be thinking about modern slavery and the reporting requirement. I think that's right. 
when it comes to the consumer sector, um, supply chains are just so complex for that sector that actually um, modern slavery is a really significant um, challenge or modern slavery risk management is a really significant challenge. I think what the lower threshold is really going to do is bring a lot more businesses within the scope of this reporting um, regime, which will give more transparency as to what different companies are, are doing in relation to that. I think the challenge from a consumer sector perspective is actually getting to grips with that is really challenging just given the sheer number of suppliers that a lot of um, consumer sector clients have to grapple with on a day-to-day -day basis. So while there will be more transparency around this, what you do with that information is still going to be particularly challenging. And it, it sort of flows on to what do you do when you see red flags or where you see people in your, your supply chain um, with practices which are not aligned with what you would what you would ideally want to be seeing as well. Um, you know, the, the real challenge in the consumer sector is um, given the sheer breadth of the supply chain relationships, um, influencing practices can be difficult or, well, difficult and also very resource intensive. And I think it's important to see that broader net of companies that might be caught. One of the other key recommendations that the review made was to move away from uh, having entities just report on the steps that they're taking to understand bottom slavery risks, but also one of the recommendations is actually to move towards an affirmative obligation on reporting entities to have a due diligence system in place. And so, Tim, some of the challenges that you're highlighting about in practice, how do entities, when they have broad supply chains, broad supply networks, how do they go about effectively reporting given the breadth of um, just the entities that they deal with, having alongside that an affirmative obligation to uh, undertake due diligence is, I think, a really significant shift in the, the, the way in which these obligations are sitting. We're really starting to move away from just the transparency elements of the act as it currently exists and moving into a system where there's some real positive obligations on reporting entities. So that's certainly, you know, in terms of the really significant shifts, I think that's the second part of the recommendations coming out of the review that I really see as having um, a lot of weight and will be really interesting to see how the government responds to, to that one in particular. I think that's right, Jackie. For some time, um, the NGOs and some commentators have had a view that the Modern Slavery Act in it imposes a, a diligence obligation already. We tend to we tend to describe it a bit more as a de facto diligence obligation or an implied diligence obligation in that if you're having to report on your risks, you're having to do do a mapping across your supply chain to under, understand and your operations to understand what your risk areas might be. And once you have that information about potential risk areas, there's sort of a impetus to take steps to manage them if they are material. So for a while now, people have talked about there being this sort of seed of a diligence obligation or a de facto diligence obligation through the reporting regime. 
having it directly recognised as a step further along, having it as a clear positive obligation embedded in the legislation. And it, it sort of brings Australia, or would, if adopted by the government, bring Australia into alignment with some of the overseas regulation we're seeing coming through. So the vigilance law in France or the supply chain um, diligence requirements in Germany, um, we're starting to see this positive obligation come through. I think it will be um, difficult, though, for, for companies which have quite complex, quite broad supply chains, given the sheer volume of information, the sheer um, uh, challenge in getting to grips with the supply base. Happily, though, uh, it is recognised that companies adopt a risk-based approach to their diligence and that it is proportionate as well. So it's not a auditing requirement uh, in the sense of getting 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 to um, getting to grips with every aspect of every supplier all throughout the supply chain. I think it's recognized that's not going to be um, that's not going to be particularly achievable, at least not at this stage. Um, actually it's an obligation to be thinking about risks across the supply chain and doing diligence where where there are areas of heightened risk. Um, but when you do couple that with the lower threshold as well, I think that will mm. prove to be a fairly significant um, a fairly significant uh, push push uh, across corporate Australia, and and will be fairly challenging for some. Just listening to you talking there, Tim, it reminds me that there's quite a lot of parallels with other risk management in the employment and safety space. In terms of safety risk management, we've had identification of risks and management of risks involving a due diligence obligation on directors for some time now. And so there's interesting parallels where we're talking about risk management from that perspective. Um, in terms of payroll compliance and those sorts of compliances, it's a very complex area similar to modern slavery. Um, so the identification of risks and the management of risks um, is, a, is a complex area. And one of the other interesting things that came out of the review is also um, a, the mention that additional um, reporting rec criteria should be included, including uh, grievance, complaint or hotline mechanisms, and also consultation with certain external and internal bodies. Um, and I think those reforms are also aimed at identifying risks and ensuring that those risks are properly managed. Um, and again, there's interesting parallels with employment and safety um, in terms of grievance procedures and also that consultation element in the safety space. We also see um, the reporting of incidents being from all workers and also consultation across different duty holders to identify and manage risks. And so it's a similar concept. So I think having that risk management lens, I can see similarities, but this particular area of modern slavery and payroll compliance is, is very complex depending on the scale of um, the organisation. So certainly is an area um, which will require quite a lot of um, focus um, if, if implemented. And Jackie, just to pick up on some of the terminology that you mentioned before in terms of supply chain and supply network, what's the relevance of that distinction between the phraseology and what impact is it likely to have? I think the 
the recommendation was to make a my, I think it describes a relatively minor modification to change the reference from supply chain to supply network. I, I think it's really intended to help bring clarity that the obligation isn't a limited one. Some, sometimes people were getting focused on, I think, the number of tiers of suppliers that you needed to look at. Uh, and, you know, the emphasis in the Act has never been um, that it's possible just to be confined in that way. And so I think that that's really the thinking behind um, that adjustment. Uh, it's not, it's not, I think, intended to drive a material change in behaviour, but really to just re you know, emphasise for entities that they need to be thinking about where they do have those connections um, in, a, in, a, in a broader sense. Um, so, Olga, it will obviously be interesting to see the government's response, but we're obviously dealing with a broad spectrum of conduct here from human rights right through to the protection of employees. Could you perhaps speak to us just on the employee aspect and some of the steps that have been um, identified as relevant to that end of the spectrum? Yeah, thanks, Aoife. There is, um, has been quite a focus on wage theft, as it's known, or underpayments across uh, many sectors, and in particular the consumer sector. There are quite a number of high-profile matters that are before the courts at the moment dealing with the retail award and, and various underpayments there. It's it's a particularly complex um, area um, because there are some uncertainties in how awards can be interpreted and, and can lead um, employers to um, inadvertently underpay. Um, now, the government, the, so the Fair Work Ombudsman in particular is quite focused on this issue, but the government themselves have also uh, noted um, a number of reforms in this area, which are anticipated to come down the line later in 2023. Um, and they include uh, criminalising wage theft and increasing underpayment penalties quite significantly, as well as proposing to extend the accessorial liability provisions, so extending the responsibility beyond employers to those other parties which might be economic decision makers. So, again, going down the supply chain or the supply network, trying to uh, increase that responsibility further up the chain. Um, there's also quite a focus on what we might consider vulnerable workers. So there's proposed regulation around casual employees, around sham contracting, around contractors. We've already seen uh, reforms on fixed-term contracts, um, and there will also be perform, uh, further reforms in terms of labour hire licensing. So all these areas where you see vulnerable workers, um, they are certainly in focus by the Labor government. Um, and I think that issue of, of penalties is something that, Tim, you've also noticed in the modern slavery space. That's right, Olga. In terms of the government's response to the um, the statutory review of the Modern Slavery Act, they are still considering their response, but there's some aspects that we know are pretty likely. Penalties is, is one of them. Um, penalties have sort of been continuously looked at all throughout the life of the legislation uh, and has been a fairly heavily debated um, issue throughout. What the report said on penalties was interesting in that it was um, recommending penalties would apply for not reporting under the Act, for giving false or misleading reports under the Act, and for failing to have the, the uh, due diligence system that we were talking about earlier. Um, I, I think those are probably fairly likely to be the parameters for what penalties might look like um, with 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 the government's um, the government's 
expectations or views once they announce them. Um, there's some other aspects as well that we sort of know are fairly likely. So the government has provided funding in its most recent budget to create an anti-slavery commissioner. The anti-slavery commissioner will actually be leading the next phase of consultation on the Modern Slavery Act. So they'll be um, they'll be the ones who are pushing forward these recommendations, funneling them down, and then doing public consultation on the form of any specific legislation. Um, so that's another aspect that we know is likely to go forward. As to the specific powers of the anti-slavery commissioner, that's less clear. So it could be a public awareness sort of uh, body, or it could be something which is a bit more um, a bit more investigatory and or involved in some of the the penalty type aspects. I think. Um, when it comes to comparative uh, roles in at a state level, but also um, some of the international comparators, the focus has tended to be more on public awareness and best practice sharing and bringing together um, communities of practice around modern slavery and human rights. Um, but the government still hasn't hasn't formulated the specific powers that the anti-slavery commissioner may have. Well, look, I think there's lots for us to that we could continue talking about here. But um, just to thank our combined audiences for joining us for this episode. Um, before we close, there is always time for an interesting fact. And um, I have one that I think will appeal to both our talking shop and third wheel listeners. So we'll go to Japan, where diners could soon be able to savour their favourite dish without having to worry about salt intake. In an effort to improve health outcomes for millions of consumers, researchers have developed chopsticks that artificially create the taste of salt. The chopsticks work by using electrical stimulation and a mini computer worn on the eater's wristband. It transmits sodium ions from food through the chopsticks to the mouth where they create a sense of saltiness. Researchers have collaborated with food and drink manufacturer Kieran to develop the device and demonstration experiments are also underway for a bowl and spoon set. They hope to launch their product called Electric Salt later this year. As ever, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.